Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail where you can, in turn, inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we are able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson. As usual, I have Run for God founder Mitchell Hollis with me. We also have a special guest, which we're going to get to in just a minute, but we're going to start by talking about there's this buzz going on right now. What is that thing? I think we've started something. I think so. You know, um, I think we've started a movement. At least I hope we've started a movement. Um, We released or we launched the promotion for the Couch to Marathon Challenge has this ever on been Monday? Done? Has this ever been done anywhere before? I don't know. We've had a lot of your crazies because they think we're trying to do this in twelve weeks, but we're not. <laughs> um, but yeah, in in three days' time, we've had over six hundred inquiries about this program, which is just it's wow. exciting. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to talk just real quick about it. I, I want to each week until it starts. I want to talk really quick about it for our new listeners. Um, but this is a couch to marathon that's going to take place over a year. And, you know, last week, and I've seen people kind of repeat this comment, but it's true. And I'm going to go through this comment a little bit. You know, a dream becomes a vision. A vision becomes a goal, and a goal becomes a plan. And then and only then can you be living the dream. But what I mean by that, you know, most runners, when they start running or at some time during their running career, they have a goal of – I want to run a marathon. You know, it's it's kind of like when you're in Little League Baseball, your goal is to be in the major leagues one day. Well, for most runners, their goal is to one day run a marathon. Well, that's a dream. You know, yeah. yeah. I actually said goal, I think, but it's actually a dream. It's it's what they think of when they think of the sport. But what's the vision? You know, we, we talk about the progression here. So the vision is next year I'm going to train for a marathon. So it kind of... It kind of starts to bring that that dream into a clear vision. And what better way to come out of 2020 <laughs> and what it has been than to go into 2021 with a dream in mind? You know, everybody knows I listen to Dave Ramsey, and I get tickled every time I hear him say, he said, 2020 was the year of the dumpster fire. <laughs> that's, that's what 2020 was, and I, and I agree. But so we've, we've got down to vision, which most people can get that. They can get the dream. And they can get the vision, but then you've got a goal. Well, we all know what smart goals are. Uh, they got to be, s- s- they've got to be uh, specific, measurable, attainable. Help me out with the R. Re- that's the one I always mess. Realistic, realistic and timely. Yeah, and timely. Um, so you've got to start fine and tuning that vision to get down to a goal. Well, for for these people who are joining the Couch to Marathon Challenge. The goal is the Disney Marathon, or a marathon, in January of 2022. So we're talking about one year here, basically. We're going to start mid-January of 2021. But most people, they get tripped up on the plan. So a dream becomes a vision, a vision becomes a goal, a goal becomes a plan. So what do you got to have to plan a marathon? You've got to have a training plan, which we always say, a training plan is really not rocket science. Anybody can go online and download a training plan, and but that's that's just the first step. The real work comes 
from the time you get the training plan. You've got to have action. So, you know, the first step of, of a plan is taking action. So what is the action? Well, for these people, it is going to be joining the run club and registering for the couch to marathon. Um, that's your action. And by the way, it's free for run club members. This this whole year's worth of training and accountability and motivation is, is free for our run club members. But you've also got to create accountability. Yep. And and what is accountability? It's 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 surrounding yourself with people <clears throat> who are gonna hold your feet to the fire. That's which the Run for God Run Club is custom made for. Exactly. Not only, but it it doesn't need to just be our group of people. You need to surround yourself with a group of people intimately in your life who you see every day and talk to every day who's going to ask you. They don't have to be runners, but you need people asking you, how's that marathon plan going? Yep. Because if you know that somebody's going to be asking you that, guess what you're going to do on those days when you really don't feel like running? You don't want to have to say, oh, I've I've missed a week or I've missed a two or missed two weeks. Motivation and and this is different from accountability. Surround yourself with people who give you a reason why you can instead of can't. We all have those naysayers in our life and we can't get rid of them. You know, we're just going to have some of those people in our life, but you need to surround yourself more with people who give you reasons why you can. They're encouraging you all the time and they're and they're motivating you and and I actually picked this term up last night. I, I help out with the youth at our church, and, and um, our youth pastor was doing a whole sermon series on this. And I love this. I got so excited when I heard it. And you're going to love this comment, too. He said, stop trying and start training. You know, well, we always say, you know, I've, I've never seen Star Wars in my life, but I know what Yoda said. <laughs> he said, there, there, is no, there is only do or do not. There is no try or something like that. That's like right. I said, I've never seen it. Um, but trying is a sentiment, and training is an action. That's right. And people have to learn that concept that you can fail in training, and you can get back up, and you can go at it again. But trying is just a, a sentiment. And uh, I really loved his, his sermon series last night on that. But Run Club helps you with all four actions of living a dream. We go from a dream to a vision to a goal to a plan to success. And and so this is going to start mid-January. Like I said, it's going to be free for all Run Club members, um, but you got to get signed up for Run Club. So if you want to find more, find out more about this Couch to Marathon Challenge, we've made an easy link. It's runforgod.com forward slash marathon and find out everything you want to know. I know I'm doing it. Our whole team is doing it. Uh, we've got a lot of people already signed up who's saying they're doing it. There's a lot of buzz going on online about it right now and i'm just i'm really i'm really excited about it what about you i'm pretty fired up about it i can't wait to see the success stories because you know they're coming and you don't know what form they're going to take yet but they're going to be pretty spectacular well let's talk about the people out there right now for just a second who have reasons let's let's take a quick look at our team okay so we have you who is the veteran marathoner I would say more elite level marathoner. You're fast. You, you've won marathons before. So we, we've got you. We've got me who I, I tend to be a pain junkie. I haven't ran in quite a while now. Um, I've been doing a lot of walking. I've been, you know, I've committed the past year or so to, to coaching my son. That season of my life is over. He's 
moving on to bigger and better things. So I find myself having been removed from money and, and I want to get back in and I'm signing up for a marathon as my goal. So I represent a lot of different people. We have my wife who, you know, running is not her favorite thing, but she understands the benefits of it. And she's been doing a lot of walking lately. She's coming into it. So she represents a lot of people. And we have Gay Coker, who is older in age. I won't say her age because I don't want to get thumped when I get back to the office. <laughs> but she's older in age. Um, and there's a lot of people that would probably think Gay can't do that. And she represents a lot of people. And I think between the four of us, we represent pretty much every segment of the population. And we're all doing it. Yeah. And we're all doing it together. So that's the beauty of Run for God is we can bring we can bring every segment of the church together. You know, I always say that so many of our churches nowadays are, are, are segregating based on um, people, which and rightfully so. You have young adults, you have married, non-married, you have uh, singles, you have widow ministries, you have all these different ministries. And very rarely do we bring people together anymore. Even in the sanctuary, we have modern services and traditional services. But Run for God is really cool that you can have, maybe not in the marathon challenge, but you have young adults, older people, single, married. You have all these different demographics can come together, and that's represented on our staff. So we're really excited to get it going, and and we hope that um, everybody listening will, will join us as well. If you don't know, again, that's Run for God Run Club slash uh, marathon. marathon to get all the information that you need. All right. We are so excited today. This is our first time that we have tried to do this whole Skyping somebody in thing on this podcast after 35 podcasts or something like that. I think we're on number 34, but we had a couple of extras in there. And so we've, we've had a bunch. Um, and I'm really, really excited this week. Because we're going to talk about nutrition. We get a lot of questions about nutrition, a lot of people that, that want to know more. Um, one of our most popular podcasts was somebody who came in to talk about nutrition. And so I'm really excited. And this was just, just by fate, I'm sure, just coincidence that I mm-hmm. happened to see a Facebook post that I met this, uh, this lady. And I thought, this sounds great. I need to see if she is willing to talk to us. And she's not only willing to talk to us, she's excited about it. Hello, Eden Morris. Hi, how are you? Great, great. It's good to see you. She's from Jackson, Wyoming. Now tell me the difference between Jackson and Jackson Hole. So Jackson, Wyoming is the town that's in Wyoming. Jackson Hole is the greater valley. Hole is another word for valley. So when you say Jackson Hole, you're talking about the Tetons. You're talking about the area just north of town, the National Elk Refuge, all the land that's around the town of Jackson. Okay. So Jackson Hole is the valley and Jackson in itself is the town. All right. I did not know that. I learned something today. A so. lot of people don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, we're going to talk diet and nutrition. Um, we're going to look at it, I think, uh, after talking with Eden, uh, from a little bit different angle, and I'm excited about that um, because we've talked about how important what we put in our bodies is, but she talks a lot about our relationship with food, Um and we're going to talk about that today uh, because that really, I never heard that before until I talk with you. And it, it, it's so dead on because that's what you hear is people struggling with that relationship. Um, but first, 
let us go back and answer our trivia question from last week, right? Because we did ask it. And it's funny that this trivia question came up last week because it came up before I knew Eden was going to be here. And this question kind of is a little bit about our health and what we eat. So the question was, what is the leading cause of death in North America and why is running helpful to lessen the possibility that we will all go that way one day? Um, and the, the, the answer to the question was heart disease. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in North America. And we can decrease that chance of us dying from heart disease by doing a number of things. One of them, obviously, is diet. Another one is exercise. And so we're talking about both of those today. Um, some reasons. Running lowers your blood pressure and cholesterol levels. Um, it lowers your bad cholesterol and actually increases the good cholesterol. Uh, running helps you maintain a healthy weight. Uh, that's something that you'll always notice a link between obesity and, um, and, and heart disease. It's, it's, it's well documented. Um, and of course, Run for God is full of weight loss stories. Running strengthens your heart muscle. So your heart is a muscle just like your legs are, and you want those muscles to be stronger, and it strengthens that. Running minimizes your heart's workload because the stronger your heart is, the more blood it pumps per, per beat and the less beats you need to get enough oxygen to your muscles. And the bottom line is this. Regular running can reduce your chances of having heart disease by 30 to 55%, depending on what study you choose to look at. But it most certainly decreases the risk. Um, and what's better than decreasing the number one killer out there? Um, and maybe, more importantly, <laughs> you'll just feel better all the time. So, Eden, tell me, I know you're not a runner, um, but you do um, some endurance sports with cycling. Mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, you do a lot of hiking, which to yeah. me uh, and a lot of our, our listeners uh, are also walkers. And which goes well with hiking. Hiking is just a little more, just a, a, I guess, a more strenuous form of walking. A more adventurous. Yeah, more yeah, adventurous. Just longer, <laughs> longer and more uphill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your take on on running and kind of how it it how to pair running with a good diet and that kind of thing? So back to what you said about endurance sports. I mean, there is research to show that it does support cardiovascular health. You just gave out a bunch of good statistics on that. One thing I, one of the reasons I'm not a runner is because I do have a lot of joint injuries from my previous athletic background. And so it hurts. It's painful. Mm. Uh, so I had to find which activity wouldn't be painful or I could still support cardiovascular health, which is why I'm more into hiking or long walks. Like, cause you do like ski hiking in the winter, we call it skinning or touring. Um, it's the same thing. It's like hiking and it's long. Uh, but I'm very curious to see if any research comes out regarding the long-term effects of cardiovascular, sorry, endurance activities on longevity. And my gut feeling is that we just have to be careful with how much continued physical stress we put on our bodies and endurance athletes like really need to pay attention to what their bodies are telling them. So if they feel good when they're running, great. But if they're there's significant swelling in their joints, specifically their hips, knees, or ankles. Like they need to be aware of that mm -hmm. and maybe taper down and be more, I don't know, intentional with their runs and do them in a way where it still supports joint health. And I, I mean, questions I ask like, as a runner, are you experiencing extreme fatigue? Are stress fractures an issue? How long are they lasting? 
because prolonged stress fractures could be an indicator of chronic inflammation, decreased bone mineral density, and low energy availability, and we'll talk about that later. Mm. But pairing a training routine with a sufficient nutrition plan that promotes recovery is paramount to performance and overall health. And so eating enough and eating enough of the right things before, during, and after an activity, it promotes recovery, it prevents injury, it keeps your hormones balanced, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and you're absolutely right because as runners, you know, I've gone to orthopedists before with injuries and they, they yeah. look at me and they say, well, you're a runner, so I know you're not going to listen to this, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've gotten that before. I've been with an orthopedic. And they're like, so, yeah, you can't jump rope anymore. Uh, yeah, you can't do that th- that high-intensity activity. You're like, yeah, no more of that. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, so let me tell you a little bit about Eden. I've kind of put the cart before the horse, and we've asked her a question before we even introduce her. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to kind of kind of read what is on her website, which is Teton performancenutrition.com if you want to know more. Um, But this is what it says. It says, I started playing softball competitively at a young age, but it wasn't until I started competing at the collegiate level that I realized the importance of nutrition and performance and overall health. The impact of eating certain foods and the timing of those foods before, during, and after my activity can truly make a tremendous difference in performance for any athlete, amateur, elite, or professional. After graduating with a Bachelor's of Art degree from, in psychology from Texas A&M University, I pursued a Master of Science degree in nutrition and dietetics. Uh, yeah, I said that right. And, and completing my dietetic internship at Georgia State University. I spent the next few years working as a clinical dietitian in hospitals at, in Georgia and Texas. I moved to Jackson, Wyoming in 2018, and I rediscovered my love for the outdoors my, by hiking, climbing, and skiing in the Tetons. I found my private practice, founded my private practice in June 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, to provide <laughs> nutrition counseling Uh, to active individuals who share a love for the outdoors no matter the season. I help clients reach their health goals with evidence-based and practical knowledge, and I'm always willing, always reading uh, and learning about the latest nutrition science in order to best serve my clients. If I'm not working on as a dietitian, I'm most likely hiking trails around town or in Grand Teton National Park, climbing at local crags, mountain biking, or skiing in Jackson Hole. Um, and then she lists some credentials and certifications, a master of science degree in nutrition and dietetics. She's a registered dietitian, a licensed dietitian in Georgia, Texas, and Wyoming, uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics member, and sports cardiovascular and wellness nutrition member. So she is well qualified to talk about what we are going to talk about today. Um, and interestingly, I, I knew Eden before we ever talked, I felt like. Because her mother talks a lot, doesn't yeah. she? She's yeah, I got it from her. Yeah, she's a, she's a great great lady, and I would talk to her, and we we would you know, and your name would come up in conversations regularly. Um, so I knew you before th- through your parents before getting a chance to meet you personally. So you grew up in Georgia, right? Right. Yeah, I grew up in Cahutta. I my parents built their house right before I was born. It's on seventeen and a half acres, and I grew up playing outside, climbing trees, playing with our animals, riding horses. And we had dogs, cats, horses, goats. Like, I mean, 
I was outside all the time when I was a kid. I might not have been doing mountain adventures yet, but I still was a very outdoorsy child. And I really, really hated summer reading growing up because I had to be inside. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be inside. I want to play outside. But yeah, my parents still live in the same spot in Cahutta, Georgia. And yeah, I don't go back east very often, but if I do, I go to Cahutta and I go visit my parents. And it's, uh, I'll tell you this, I, I mean, I, I know where that piece of property and house is and mm-hmm. you, you, you may be living in a beautiful place now, but you grew up in a beautiful place as well. Uh, oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I live around, you know, I live in Cahutta. Um, I love Cahutta. Matter of fact, um, you know, the saying is, ain't no place but Cahutta. Ain't no place like There's Cahutta. There's a bumper sticker. Yeah, that's right. Um, so anyway, so how are things in Wyoming now? Oh, you know, I mean, it's beautiful, of course, but, you know, the pandemic is very real here, too, especially since so many people traveled here from every part of the United States this year on vacation. Everybody, you know, got antsy and they were inside. We're like, where can we go? And so actually we had a lot less international travelers, but a lot more domestic travelers through here. And, you know, when the, the pandemic started, a lot of small business owners here were very concerned about, like, are we going to have tourism this summer? Because the, the money that they bring in from tourism supports their business throughout the rest of the year because winter is so long here. Mm. And then it ended up being one of the most busy summers we've ever had. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it, it was just, there was kind of this ooh, saltiness with the locals here. Like we were very happy that people were here, but at the same time, we're like, please don't, please just wear your mask. Like, please, please just wear your mask. <laughs> um, but I mean, just going to go back to, yeah, this is one of the most beautiful places in the country. One of the reasons I moved to Jackson Hole is because it reminds me so much of Cahutta, but it's like Cahutta, North Georgia on steroids. So yeah. it's like the same thing. You know, Cahutta is located in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. This is like, I don't know, one of the most beautiful places for mountain ranges in the country. And yeah, and then it's got this really great close-knit community around it. And I love that I can go to the coffee shop and be like, oh, hey, you didn't. I'm like, I thought they know me. That's so nice. It's the same thing if I walk through downtown Cahutta. I know the mayor or I know, you know, if I walk into the post office, I'm probably going to know the person working there. I'm going to see somebody like it just I really like that. So it's just kind of where I grew up, but it's on steroids. It feels like my home. Yeah. My version of Cahutta. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you love the outdoors. So what is your absolute favorite outdoor activity? So I learned to ski in 2019, in January 2019, and I just love it like it's a new sport for me but i've advanced quickly and people like oh it's because you're an athlete i'm like no what behind that there's a dedication to learning something well and so i'm consistent with it but i just i love to learn and there's so much to learn when it comes to skiing from technique uh different kinds of snow understanding snow science understanding weather patterns how layers of snow create what's called a snowpack um but initially when i moved to jackson my favorite activity was hiking i still love it it's fun and you know you can see some really awesome places but the difference between hiking and skiing is that once you've hiked somewhere really high you get to go down a lot faster when you're skiing than if you're hiking and i like i like going fast i'm pretty fast man i'm right there with you i'm right there with you that's why i I can't give up on being as fast as i can be no matter how old i am Uh, yeah um, so you went to school originally for psychology and then you went on to become a licensed dietitian and those two things go together well, don't they? Yeah, there is an undeniable overlap between mental health and nutritional health. Like our food choices usually reflect what's going on in our lives, whether those choices stem from stress or even celebratory occasions. You know, I mean, so, I mean, I think about like if something good is going on, we all usually get together over a meal and we, you know, come together that way. But Mm -hmm. if, if, if we're stressed, sometimes people 
you know, comfort themselves with food or sometimes appetite goes away. And so it's important to discuss somebody's mental health and where they are because it impacts their daily health choices. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the motivation behind why you chose to focus on nutrition. Um, but it grows out of a concern for others, doesn't it? I know, I know your parents. I know how they are. They're really concerned about <laughs> yeah. others. And so that's you kind of come by that honestly, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. After my experiences with female athlete triad at Texas A&M, I just had this moment and I was sitting somewhere on campus and something in my head just clicked and I decided I was going to do my absolute best to prevent what happened to me to happening to others because it was devastating. My goal as a professional and as a person is to help others in whatever way I can. And I'd say I definitely drew inspiration from both of my parents and you know, specifically my dad is a business person and why he's a criminal defense attorney. His goal is to help people. And that's my goal as a dietitian. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming you probably have, yeah, probably have at least one or two great success stories probably of people who you were able to help through that. Um, Do you have a a story you can share with us real quick? You know, because my practice is so new, I'm still kind of getting those stories. Yeah. Uh, So I wish I had a better answer, but I guess I'd say almost all of my clients so far have felt prepared to handle their health after we've worked together. It's not that they don't need me anymore, but they have the tools and resources they need in order to make healthier choices overall. Mm -hmm. And they still reach out here and there if they have a question. Um, But they also leave my services feeling like they have a friend and like they had somebody listen to them. And that's really important. And so I also think about my own nutrition journey often, the ups and downs, the heartbreak, the shame I felt after my diagnoses from female athlete triad complications. And I look back now and I think about how far I've come and how hard I've worked to rediscover that health, the healthy balance between loving all foods, nourishing the body and then performance. And I mean, I'm just so blessed to have this body that God has given me. And even though some of the memories from my past and everything I experienced still bring me to tears and they're really painful to think about, I'm very grateful for every experience and it makes me more relatable to my clients. So Eden, I'm, I'm going to chime in here because I'm, I'm, I'm just listening to all this, but just for our listeners and for me, this this may be my ignorance, but explain what female athlete triad is. Yeah, I have we have a more specific answer. I mean, it's a question for that one. But uh, yeah, female athlete triad is this combination of disordered eating, low energy availability, menstrual dysfunction and bone mineral density issues. So specifically for me, I had secondary amenorrhea, which the difference between primary amenorrhea and secondary amenorrhea means that if you have secondary amenorrhea, you have gotten your period before and then it goes away versus primary amenorrhea means that you never ever experienced a menstrual period. Like it just never came, which shows that there's a hormonal imbalance. Um, But the low energy availability over a long period of time, just your body will shut down certain um, certain processes and certain systems to prioritize the most basic ones that need to function. So that's where you end up with bone problems because you need calcium for muscle contraction. Sodium and calcium work together to make sure your muscles are working. And if you're not taking in enough dietary calcium to support the activity you're doing, your body will take it from your skeleton because your skeleton is that reserve for that. And yeah, so I ended up Mm. with a lot of deterioration throughout my body from this. And uh, there was a rebalancing period after I, I was diagnosed and it took about a year to really feel balanced again. But some of those injuries, they're never going to go away. And I remember trying to explain to people when I was 22, like, you know, family, friends, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm injured, but I'm injured for life. Hmm. 
like, yeah. but you're so young and you look so good. And I think that's important to remember that just because somebody looks a certain way on the outside doesn't mean that there's something not going on internally that you yeah. may not know about. Yeah, that goes for people um, spiritually as well, right? Um, right. Yeah, we yeah, see people walking around. They look. They all look great, and um, it's why or we should. social media. Yeah, it's a uh, highlight reel. That's exactly. Everybody looks great on social media. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we have several things to share with you today, and after the break, we're going to talk about more specifically some of those challenges that Eden faced while she was a college uh, a college athlete. Um, and kind of what led her to the point where she's at now, as you've heard. Uh, but first, check out J Radio. You get up early before the kids for your morning workout. Spend some time studying or reading your devotion. And pick up the kids each afternoon. Whatever the moment, J Radio has you covered. Get your account at jradio.com and download the app in your app store. J Radio, music for every moment. All right, we are back. And remember that you can send messages to dean at runforgod.com. If you've got questions, if you've got suggestions, anything that you've got that you need to communicate with us, want to know something about training, you want to know how to get faster and you got the specific question and send them to me at Dean at Run for God. If there's something you want to hear more of on this podcast, let us know what that is and we'll be glad to find the resources to give you exactly what you want because this is all about you. Um, if you don't know about us and you just happened upon this podcast, go to runforgod.com or runforgodrunclub.com and find out more. Um, don't forget that we would love to hear your story, too, okay? There's a place for you to submit your story there. Um, normally, uh, we have somebody's story that we're sharing, and this time, instead of sharing a story and reading it, we're sharing a story from a live person. And so it, this is exciting. Um, Mitchell, you know, we all love food. Yes. But you especially like good food, don't you? I do. I do. I consider myself a food connoisseur, probably not the type of food that most of our listeners would think that I like. Um, I'm, I'm a smoker. I love I love smoking meats. I love barbecuing. I love, but I love to do it. Um, I love to get creative with it. So yeah, that's uh, if you come to my house, probably four times a week. I'm I'm I've got something on the smoker, and uh, that's just that's turned into kind of one of my hobbies the past few years. Is um, is smoking meats. I just, I love it. Yeah. Now, now, Eden may have a problem with some of my meat choices, but... Uh, no, 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 no. I like it when people are creative with their food choices. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Quality over quantity is what I like. Yeah. Oh, exactly. See, I'm the exact opposite. Um, there's, I, a, there's a balance between the two. Yeah. I, I'm, Depends uh, on the food. Yeah, yeah. I'm more that guy who looks at food kind of like uh, pulling up to a gas station with his car. <laughs> You know, you pull up and, for example, I the, I have had, I eat a baked sweet potato almost every night. I mean almost every single night because it's easy. I've got them. I just throw one in. I, it's That's just how it is. So mm-hmm. it's like it's, it's like pulling up to a gas station. All I need is enough energy to get through the next day. Yeah, that's not me. <laughs> 
Um, I'm a combo of both of you. Like I love good food, but I also like to fuel my body like it's a car and I need to make sure it's got enough fuel. There's, there's a combo there. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's good stuff. Um, so we, we watch athletes compete both in college and, and, and professionally. We have no idea what their lives are like outside of the game, the meet, the match, whatever it is. Um, having co- you know, coaching college athletes, I know that people look at them in a certain way when they're on the outside, but on the inside, sometimes it's completely different. Um, for women athletes in particular, um, sometimes that pressure to succeed leads to serious nutritional imbalances. And so, Eden, you found yourself in exactly those circumstances. You've already talked a little bit about that. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what were those challenges that you found? Yeah, I'm going to talk about some stuff that's pretty sensitive for some athletes, but mm-hmm. I guarantee you, you've got some that have gone through the same thing or they still are. So, But the summer prior to my freshman semester at Texas A&M, I got my strength training program in the mail and I just took to it. I loved it. I enjoyed it. And I trained really hard that summer. It was the summer of 2008 and I ate well. I had a good relationship with food. I had a good relationship with my body. Uh, I lost 15 pounds, but I was strong and I was fast and I felt good. And as soon as I showed up to Texas A&M, the comments that I got from coaches and strength coaches, they were just, they didn't think about what they were saying. It was, uh, oh, you're not the size you were when we recruited you. Mm. Oh, you're not the athlete. You don't look like the athlete you used to. Mm. Oh, you're too thin. Or you're not fast enough to play middle infield. I was a shortstop. Uh, you're not strong enough to be a catcher. And so I, I get there. I've moved halfway across the country. I'm like, why am I here? Yeah. They don't want me. Mm. And so my freshman year, I was all over the map mentally. That's when I started struggling with menstrual function. And um, so I went home the summer of 2009, and I just really tried to rebalance and refocus. And I, I did the same thing I did the summer before. So I really trained hard, and I came in the next year, my sophomore year. And at the beginning of each semester, we would sit down with our coach, and we would have a, you know, a meeting and say, well, what can I do better? What can I do to get on the field? What, can I, what am I not doing? And she said to me, she's like, you need to get faster. You need to get stronger. I just was like, what? I already did that. Uh, Well, what am I not doing? And so I really was like, well, I'm going to look off the field. And so I started becoming very focused on my nutrition. And I read a book. Then this book is great. I recommend it to people if you just want to know like a basic level to start. But it's called The All-Pro Diet by Tony Tony Gonzalez, who we all know from the Falcons. Uh, and Mitzi Dulan, who's a dietitian for the Kansas City Chiefs and the Kansas City Royals. And it has a lot of good info in it, but I became too restrictive. And that can, that can happen with athletes because we're all very type A. Mm-hmm. We want everything perfectly. And so I just became very restrictive with food. I wouldn't allow myself to eat a lot of things. I, or if I did, I didn't have a lot of control around it because I hadn't eaten it. Um, I started doing extra workouts outside of team activities because I just was like, well, I have to get faster. And so I just would run stadiums after strength workouts or I would jump rope for 30 minutes on a Saturday before a football game, like those kinds of things. And um, then I wasn't eating enough throughout the day to support the amount of activity I was doing. I was eating. I just couldn't eat enough. And I also had some issues with my teammates. Like some of them would make comments about my leanness and the, I mean, but at the same time, so on the field, you know, with my teammates, everybody was making comments about that. But off the field, society was like, well, you look great. You're so thin. And so I was getting these mixed messages about my body. And um, I was mm. fast and I was strong. But injuries started to just settle in and they just didn't go away. And I had low energy availability for three years. So just not eating enough, eating enough at the right times. 
Because if you looked at the total caloric intake of what I ate throughout the day, I was eating enough. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't at the right times. I lost my menstrual period when I was a freshman, and it did not return until I was a senior at Texas A&M. I had disordered eating patterns. I had binging behaviors. I had restrictive patterns to where if I ate like three cookies, I would go in my room and do push-ups and sit-ups and be like, I didn't earn that. Um, I had serious bone damage. I still have bone damage from decreased bone mineral density. So specifically, I have permanent damage in my back. I have a spot. uh, My L5 is compacted and it never healed. And it might have healed if I had been in a healthy state, but I wasn't. Um, I have deterioration in both of the ball and socket joints of my hips. Like you can look at it and there's bubbles of deterioration from just not eating enough and from calcium being taken out from that specific spot. And I'm a catcher too. So there might be some deterioration from that. Um, my shins still have dents in them from being hit by foul balls. Like my left ankle and my left shin are just completely damaged. Uh, and I had osteopenia at 22. And so like that entire mm. athletic career, I look at that and I'm like, that was just, that did not go well. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we don't often put things like uh, the, the things that you're talking about, the bone density and all, all of these things, we don't attach to our diet often. Right. Um, we, we look at injuries and we think, well, we're not strong enough. or we're, and, and you're doing all these things to be stronger yes. and to be tougher and yet food was really the, the underlying problem. And we don't yeah. put those things together. Uh, yeah. So it sounds, I mean, this, this whole female athlete triad syndrome is, is pretty dangerous, right? Yes, it's incredibly dangerous and it is very common. Uh, a lot of athletes experience these symptoms and they just don't put them, it doesn't click in their head that it's abnormal because other athletes are experiencing it. Yeah. But the consequences of prolonged energy availability, like low energy availability can lead to injuries that will never heal. Not completely at least. And for example, I'm 31 years old. I still have pain in my left shin from the bone damage that occurred there. My left ankle is permanently calcified from rolling it so many times because in baseball and softball, you only turn one way. If you keep rolling that ankle, it keeps getting damaged. Um, And the reason why it's calcified is because I had free floating calcium in my bloodstream that was deposited where injuries were happening. So there's that, that, that ankle, the tendons are actually, they look like a bone. If you, if I've had, if I go get an x-ray. So the calcium in my blood was being taken from my skeletal reserves to support muscle contraction, other body processes. And this is what happens if an athlete doesn't take in enough energy, specifically macronutrients and micronutrients to support the amount of physical activity that he or she is doing. Wow. And, and isn't normally this this whole idea of female athlete triad um, and, and the specific diagnosis is usually done for endurance athletes, right? I, I hear about this in, in right. runners yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Traditionally, the female athlete triad and relative energy deficiency in sport or REDS, which is uh, the female athlete trained triad was expanded by the IOC to include male athletes and to include the psychological component that leads to these kinds of issues. Um, but these kinds of issues are thought to occur in aesthetic sports and endurance sports such as cycling or cross-country running but research has been performed on gymnasts figure skaters divers runners and cyclists but with that being said low energy availability can happen to any athlete in any sport it is worth noting that i played a power sport in college which is one reason that the symptoms that i experienced were missed it was not traditional for somebody like me to have this uh, I was not involved in a sport with a high risk population for female athlete triad. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of our listeners don't understand that the, the, 
psychological component behind being driven that hard to want to succeed and want to be good at what you do. A lot of people want to be good at whatever they do, but the, specifically for an athlete and that type A personality and, and having yeah. to be the best you can be, people don't understand that. What, what, right. can, we, what, what can we do if, if we find ourselves in that? How, how do we draw back from that? Oh, I mean, you know, that hyper-focus mentality is very common among athletes. I think what I'm trying to help athletes and other clients remember is that it should be about longevity, long-term health, because we want to be as active for as long as possible, and we want to do it in a way that supports our body. And yeah, I, I mean, that means fueling enough and eating foods that support our joints and support our heart and but also eating for joy and making sure that you're taking care of your mind and your spirit as well yeah there's this overlap between all of them yeah yeah and that's a good point so back to the female athlete triad and and the the corresponding male diagnosis how, how do we know if somebody's suffering from that i mean as a person yeah. if we see somebody out there what do we look for Pay attention to like nagging injuries, like shin splints. Like, how long are those shin splints lasting? Do they take a long time to heal? Do you have foot injuries? Like, I had plantar fasciitis, and the symptoms were really bad for a long time. Actually, what led to my diagnosis was I was going for a run. Miss, I'm not a runner. I was um, I was going for a run around my neighborhood, and I was wearing shoes that weren't supportive. I was wearing um, Innovate something, you know, the ones that are like a uh-huh. uh, minimal something. Yeah, they don't have a lot of support in them, and because my bones were still kind of rebalancing after being so brittle for a long time, I ended up with three stress fractures in my left foot. Wow. Um, so pay attention to those. Uh, A&M performed DEXA scans on their athletes at the beginning and end of each semester. And that kind of scan is incredibly helpful because it measures bone mineral density. So you can actually track where if somebody's on par where they should be. So you look at the Z scores of the bone mineral density. Um, oh. And I mean, you can, I think you can go get those on like class pass or something else. Like there's a lot of, or um, Groupon, there's places that do DEXA scans in Chattanooga, I guarantee it. Yeah. Um, but menstrual, menstrual function, that's a really important one. Do your female athletes have regular periods? And if they do, are they on birth control? And birth control can mask the effects of low energy availability and make somebody have a period, even though they might not, if they were not on birth control. So if an athlete is at risk, it's important to track that. It's important to create an environment where it's good to talk about menstrual function among female athletes. Which is tough. For you guys, so you to know, not taking in enough dietary fat prevents the body from producing hormones that would lead to a a normal menstrual cycle because lipids are the backbones of hormones. And so we need them for hormone production. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. From a, I'm a, I'm a male coach with a female team. Yeah. Um, it's uncomfortable having those conversations. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I have them occasionally, but it's it's uh, it's tough. But I think it's important that we do that. Yeah, Eden, yeah, I, I agree. I, I've just got to ask the question here because we've we have dealt with this before, not necessarily yeah. this diagnosis, but it, it may have been. You know, now that we're now that we're learning more. But how often do you see? You talked about your coaches and your peers when you got to college making comments and things and. Um, how often do you hear it from parents? Because I think a lot of times, oh, yeah, that's a great question. You yeah. know, a lot uh-huh. of times, and we've heard it. You, we know as coaches that that something is going on, but so many times parents will say, "Well, they're just not working hard enough," or and, and it's oh, yeah. really something medically yeah. going on. How how do you approach that subject, or have you ever had to have those conversations with parents saying, 
look, this this is not just a lack of desire. This is not just them wanting to do good. There's something right. really going on here. And, and how do you have those conversations? That's a wonderful question. And again, I, I hope that parents can recognize that it should be about their athlete's long-term health and not necessarily about being the absolute best because an athlete will be their best when they feel supported and mm-hmm. when they enjoy what they do as opposed to just feeling all this pressure all the time. But I have a colleague over in Sun Valley, Idaho, which isn't too far from here, um, which is another big ski town. But he asks me about like how to handle parents with this kind of stuff. And I'm like, hey, there's a reason I am not a coach. <laughs> like, parents scare me. <laughs> parents are scary. But I just want you guys to know that my mom and I had conversations around this, uh, what was happening to me. And I really want to address the misconception that if that happened when my mom was my age, like if you don't have a period, it just means you're fit. It just means you're lean. Yeah. Uh, she regrets this now, but when I was telling her that I was I was struggling with some of these things, she's like, oh, that just means you're really athletic when I wasn't having a period. And now she's like, oh, gosh, Eden, I'm so sorry. And now I realize she realizes that she has a lot of osteoarthritis issues, that she may have been experiencing these things, too, as a young woman. And she had no idea. Yeah. And she really was not fueling herself well either. But she was an equestrian. She was more into riding horses and doing activities like that, but she didn't eat enough and she knows she didn't. And I love that she and I now have this relationship where we can talk about those struggles. And I hope that parents can find that overlap to where they can remember being in their child's shoes and approaching it that way versus trying to just make their their kid the best athlete ever. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate the, the way that my parents approached me as an athlete. Um, yeah, I was super busy. Yeah, I was an elite athlete, but they still let me be a kid, mm-hmm. which is really important. Yeah. And I was very well-rounded. I was I was artistic. I was in choir. I had all these other interests. And another thing that I really loved about my parents, or at least my dad, because my, my, my dad was a little bit better about this than my mom, we would get in the car after a game or a practice, and we wouldn't talk about practice. We wouldn't talk about the game. Mm. We wouldn't talk about my performance. It was more... All right, dad, I got this piece coming up for choir. Do you mind if I practice a little bit in the car? You know, and so I would sing for my dad on the way back from practice in Atlanta, back to Georgia. And that's when I would do my homework. I do my homework in the car. And I I really appreciate that my parents let me still be an individual versus just their athletic daughter. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, parents can be a nightmare. Parents can also be a blessing. Yeah, parents scare me. Like I said, they scare me. Uh, We've got uh, (laughs) on, on... on the college team that I coach, uh, we've got some really good parents too. So if you're out there and you're a parent of a of an athlete, don't don't we're not we're not busting on no every no. And the here, reason I brought sure. it up is I think a lot of times, just like you know you know what we went through with Lane several years back. Yeah. I, I have a son who who's a, a a great runner, and um, you know just all of a sudden one day, I mean overnight, his his time started suffering, and and we know Lane, yeah. we know his work ethic, so we knew something was wrong. But it would be so easy for parents to say, well, they're just not putting the time in. Well, come to find out, Lane's ferritin was seven. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, but exactly. it took us it took us a month to figure out what that was. We had a whole learning curve uh, with Lane yeah. in that process. But I, I guess the reason I bring that up is for the parents who are out there. It, it, yeah, we're not dogging parents. We're trying to, uh, the reason I asked the question is to educate potential parents out there that a lot of times it's, it's not a lack of drive, a lack of desire, just a lack of work ethic. There's a lot of times there's something else going on, especially at these young ages um, when their bodies are changing yeah. so much and, and so many things are going on that we can't see. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's I mean, some great that insight. Point, yeah. 
my performance suffered at Texas A&M because I just felt so discouraged with everything that was going on. And I mean, I was homesick. I may, was still making good grades, but I was so discouraged with my own performance. And then that became this, this, you know, this cycle of like, I just can't perform well. And then I was so just hyper-focused on nutrition and there were all these things going wrong and then I was injured and what I, and if somebody had literally just sat me down and actually listened to what was going on, this could have all been prevented. Yeah. But no one did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, also, I didn't feel comfortable talking about it. I mean, that's important to note, too, that sometimes yeah. your athletes, your children, it's hard for them to talk about it because we don't create an environment where we feel welcome to discuss these really personal, deep rooted struggles. Right. That's true. That's very true. Um, so when an athlete is involved in these kind of things they're, they're obviously doing something destructive to themselves mm-hmm. um, how often do you think it is that they kn- they may even know that some of these things I think about somebody who takes uh, steroids for example to be right. yeah. better at their sport and they know they're doing something destructive so they're but they're doing it anyway how often do you think that's the case here or is it almost always just somebody just doesn't know any better most of the time the athlete doesn't know that he or she is doing something destructive or they or they don't know the long-term consequences at least they think about that short-term performance gain versus the long-term health problems so for example after one of my dexa scans at texas a&m the strength and conditioning coach sat down with me and she highlighted the decreasing trend in my bone mineral density but i didn't know what that meant it wasn't explained to me and I didn't care about bones. Like as in our society, we're all, we're taught as women to care about our bones. We're in our 40s and 50s. That's when you know osteopenia and osteo um, osteoarthritis can set in. And so I just <laughs> osteoporosis. I just didn't even pay attention. But the reason why I didn't pay attention is because before she highlighted that trend, she highlighted how much fat I had lost and how much muscle I had gained. And so I held on to those numbers as opposed mm. to the bad number yeah. because that's what I was told. Oh, you got to get stronger, you got to get faster. I'm like, Oh cool. I have less fat and more muscle. I'm definitely faster. And we looked at my times, my, my 40 yard time and my shuttle times and they were faster. Um, and I just want to highlight to people how quickly all of this changed. I was, I mean, in a matter of a month, I, I had lost 20 pounds of fat and gained 10 pounds of muscle. Wow. And that is unhealthy. That is mm. too short of a time frame for that to happen. But it wasn't explained to me in a way where I understood the long-term consequences. And I had good intentions for what I was doing. I was getting faster. I was getting stronger. But like we talked about earlier, my body was starting to just disintegrate from the inside. And I had no idea. And I wasn't made aware of it until I was a senior. And I I didn't even find out because I didn't have any real injuries that kept me from walking until I had those stress fractures. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, Now, most of the people... Um, who are listening here are not highly competitive athletes. Most of the people mm-hmm. in our audience are people who are recreational runners um, or recreational walkers or people who uh, are, are not going to be super highly competitive. Um, right. So what kind of destructive habits do you see on the average person? Because you're talking about a high a- level of activity that you had that led to a lot of your problems, right? Because yeah. because you were doing those extra things in addition yeah. to putting your body through what a normal athlete does. Um, so wh- what do you see the habits of the average person who struggles with their diet? What do you see their problems being? Yeah. I think the number one thing I see for people is they don't eat enough throughout the day. A lot of people skip breakfast and they backload their calories at the end of the day. And I really hate it when people do that because they end up eating more at that night than they would have if they had been nourished throughout the day. 
that is true for athletes. That is true for non-athletes. A lot of people do that. And another neat thing to note with the holidays coming up, a lot of people do that around Thanksgiving or Christmas. They mm -hmm. won't eat anything and then just gorge at the, the meal, mm -hmm. which is so dumb because if they had actually <laughs> eaten throughout the day, they would have more control around those foods that they think are bad in their head and they could enjoy them more versus being like, I got to get in as much as I can because I saved up for this meal. Like, I hate that. But I mean, that's, that's another thing, like demonizing food, like using language that is detrimental to the relationship that one has with food in their body. Like, so an example is, oh, I shouldn't eat that, but I'm going to be bad. Like using these negative labels towards certain foods or, oh, I had this last night and I shouldn't have, oh, I feel so bad about it. Mm. I, I really want people to shift that language and get away from it. Like, it's okay to have that food, just enjoy it. Cause like, the, then like if, if you're talking like that in your head, you're not going to enjoy that glass of wine, you know? Yeah. Um, and then another one is like using food or alcohol to cope with stressful situations instead of actually addressing the way you feel deep down. And full disclosure, we all do this. I've done it. Like everybody does. It's just, I think it's important to check in with your, where you are mentally when you're going to do that and be like, do I actually need this, frankly, like this IPA or this cookie, or am I just upset about something? Is there something bothering me? And am I using something as a band-aid? as opposed to actually thinking about the thing. So, Eden, I, for, for what I'm hearing is the, the theme that I'm hearing that you're not saying is moderation. And, mm -hmm. you know, one thing that one thing that's actually in our instructor's manual for the 5K challenge, the 5K challenge is typically uh, people who have never run or people who haven't ran in many years. And, and it's a program that we have that, that takes people from the couch to the 5K. And okay. what we tell instructors on the first night to say is we look out at the crowd and we say, now is not the time for a crash diet. Uh, course, how, yeah. how, how big of an issue or how many people do you see that they, they start this exercise program or, or they're thinking about starting this exercise program and they think they need to do everything at one time and they'll stop eating and start running and we know that that just leads to all kind of problems. What, what would you say to somebody who is thinking about, say, this January and starting this 5K uh -huh. to marathon challenge with us? How should they look at their diet on day one? Like I said, we tell people uh, yeah, it's not would, time for a crash oh, diet, but I'm not a dietitian, so I don't try to speak to that. Yeah. But to that person say, who is out there who is 30 pounds overweight and they're going to start running yeah. in January, how, how do you look at food healthy? You look at it like it's a marathon as well. Like it, you have uh, to make choices gradually. You can't do it all overnight because that's not realistic and then you'll crash and you'll give up. Mm. it's the same thing it's the same approach you make small changes here and there which lead to bigger changes which gets you they get you to your goals but you can't just i don't know cut out all of these foods that you think are gonna limit your performance like you you have to do it in a gradual way right. and that, like i think that just goes right into everything you're saying like a program that you're doing when you're running or strength training or anything it's this progressive change. It's this progressive buildup. And the, it should be the same with food. It adapts to your training. It adapts to what you're doing. It's not this all or nothing mentality. Right. Yeah. Well said. So I love the way that you talk about our relationship with food. Because, again, I think that that gets to the root of a lot of problems. Can you uh, just elaborate just a little bit more on what does that mean, our relationship with food? Yeah. I, uh, I had this thought, uh, I guess it might be a couple months in now but uh the relationship that we have with our bodies begins begins before we're even born mm. you know i 
<laughs> Nutritionally, we evolve throughout our lives. Our needs change as we age and needs change depending on the activities we're doing. So in addition to nutrition throughout the life cycle, life cycle we mentally evolve. All of our experiences, I mean, they impact our stress and in sometimes tragic situations, they impact what we do. I'm sure your readers and listeners that can recall a specific meal they ate around a stressful time in their life. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's something you recall. Or another good example is if you get food poisoning from someplace, you remember that feeling and you're like classically <laughs> conditioned to not go to that place. Not like doing it's, that again. It's, <laughs> um, another thing about food is it's a social thing. Like so many of us have created lasting memories over breakfast, coffee, lunch, dinner, holidays, etc. Food and nutrition bring people together from all walks of life. And I believe this is the case because every single person on this planet has to eat to survive. Mm. We are all connected on this earth and we all have nutritional needs that are specific to us as individuals and where we are culturally. Yeah. And if I think about my own personal struggles with my relationship with food, I'll be honest and I'll tell you that I've struggled with disordered eating around my athletic career. I've struggled with body image starting in high school and I still struggle with it to this day, but I'm in a much healthier place with how I view my body than I ever was. And, but this is a constant evolving relationship. Right. And recently I experienced a handful of incredibly stressful events within my town where I live. And there was a private family situation as well that impacted my health. But the way that those situations impacted me physically were very difficult. They were hard. I mean, mm -hmm. I wasn't sleeping. I had appetite changes. I had mouth sensitivity, mouth sores, scratching of like foods hurt my mouth. I had very quick weight loss. Like all of these physical symptoms, though, are an example of how extreme stress impacts the body. And yeah. so that's what I'm saying. Like you cannot ignore that mental overlap with whatever's going on in your life with your relationship with food because they are absolutely linked. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all these you've, you've had these experiences um, through college and through these negative things that have happened to you from a, a, a eating and nutrition standpoint. Um, combined with your athletic career, uh, but those things we talk about it all the time. Where we have we have stories of people who went through some tough times, and those tough times were for a purpose, hmm. and that purpose hmm. is to help others who are going through those same things. So that time that you've been through, they help remind you of just how important what you do is, don't they? Oh yeah, I mean. I'm very grateful for all of those ups and downs that I had because it has helped me as a professional. It's helped me as an individual. I, I used to feel guilty. I used to feel a lot of shame. And then I realized, no, this is so common. Some of the things you're going through and the things that you've felt, you're not alone. Yeah. A lot of people feel that way. Mm -hmm. And it helps me as a professional. And that's been really good that I've seen in the, in the women's running scene is that we're, we're more open to talk about all of these things. Right. Than, exactly. than we ever have been, and that's that's a good thing. Um, so, do you feel like your current circumstances have you where God wants you to be? Yes, but I will say this is a recent feeling. Like I struggled for years to trust God and His plan for me. It just kept feeling like everything was going wrong, nothing was going right. Mm -hmm. I kept feeling like I feel like I'm supposed to go on this path, but I don't know where I'm going. And then somehow this summer, like I said, when I founded my private practice in the middle of a pandemic, everything clicked everything came together. And even now, if I get negative feedback about something I've done professionally, 20 more compliments come pouring in and they're positive. And it's just been a really humbling thing to witness as a professional. And it's like, keep going, Eden, keep doing the work, keep shining, keep 
putting out good light because we absolutely need it in this world right now. Amen. And I can't do it for everyone. I can't do it in the way that some people want me to, but I just have to remember that I can do it just as myself. And my voice resonates with so many people. And I'm so thankful about that. That's awesome. That is awesome to hear. Uh, hey, check out the Big Share app. There is power in people's stories. It's a challenging time. What do you do when everything you believe about God is being tested and God doesn't look like the good father that he says he does? You've got layers and layers and layers of hate in your heart. It, it takes God to clean it out. Your story can help encourage others around the country, just like these stories have. You can walk through a simple process of sharing your story with the Big Share app. Download the Big Share app in your app store to start sharing hope with others. All right, so we are back, and uh, we do not have Dean's thoughts today. Um, there was nothing on Dean's mind over last. <laughs> I doubt that very seriously. Uh, <laughs> but we do have something that is much better. We have Eden's thoughts, um, and I am one hundred percent certain that they are way smarter than Dean's thoughts. I concur. <laughs> So you you moved out to Jackson, Wyoming. You started your own business right in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. which is the time when everybody starts something new, right? Totally, <laughs> we, yeah. We talk about being bold all the time. Um, you already talked a little bit about kind of what some of the things that you do and all, but how, how is how is that practice going in general? Oh, I know this year has been so challenging for so many of us, but I'm so grateful for a lot of things that have happened this year. If I hadn't been laid off, I wouldn't have this awesome job. That's the best job I've ever had. My but. boss can be a little tough sometimes, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean me. <laughs> I moved to Jackson in August of 2018 and had actually taken a step back from nutrition as my career. And I was just working the basic jobs in town to get by. And I worked at a really cool gift shop here in town called Made. Like Shout out if you're in Jackson, go to Made. They have great stuff. Um, and then I also worked as an office assistant at a local art center here. And even when they were interviewing me, they were like, all right, do you think you'll ever get back into nutrition? And I was like, I don't know. This is Jackson. Everybody's healthy. And then I realized, no, they're not. They just were also active that we can, we think we can get away with a lot of things, mm. but I was let go in March and I was worried. I was like, what now? What's the next path? I have no idea. And then I decided to just finally move forward with owning my private practice. I wanted to do it two years ago and it just wasn't the right time. And this year, somehow the timing seemed right. And I'll say this, like the pandemic, when we all had to slow down in March and April, it allowed me to have the create the creativity to do this, to yeah. brainstorm, to make sure that I felt inspired and to believe in what I was doing. And I finally felt ready after not feeling ready for so long. And I remembered why I became a dietitian in the first place. And I remembered that inspiration. And I wanted to help people and started my own private practice and sharing my knowledge, my expertise and my own personal struggles with nutrition just helps me relate to clients, friends and family in a way that I never could have imagined. And I, it takes me being open. It takes me being honest, but it has brought so many more people and more positive connections in my life. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for everything. Yeah, that, that, that's great. Well, I want to get more into specifically diet. Um, and I find yeah. that everybody that Everybody has an opinion on food, and everybody has a general philosophy, and I've heard several. A lot of them are very similar. But what is your general philosophy on diet? 
you know, you asked me the other day, like, what diet do you follow? And I was like, I don't follow a diet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but in a nutshell, I, I just want people and myself to eat and drink in a way that improves performance for life, not just athletic performances. Mm. So eat for health, but also eat for joy. Be grateful for your body and nourish it in the best way you possibly can. Eat mostly plants. Eat often enough throughout the day. And also let yourself enjoy the experiences that come from food. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the Bible says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Of course, that comes from 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Does, do you use that Bible verse that, that kind of helps guide you? Is that, um, does, that applies to exactly what you're talking about, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, there's so many good verses in First Corinthians. I, yeah, I don't even read the Bible that often, and I still remember a lot of those verses and just the words, and they kind of like stick in your brain and in a way that you don't even realize. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, I have a responsibility to myself and to God to take care of my body and my mind. So it's mm -hmm. not about eating perfectly; it's about eating in a way that is nourishing and to my body and my soul. Yeah. So yeah. That definitely that verse is there, and it, it applies perfectly. Yeah. So, so do you think there are certain foods that are off limits? So I feel like this is a trick question, and my initial answer is no. But there are certain foods that I don't eat often because I just don't crave them anymore, or they don't serve my goals. But I will say, the other night I was on a date, and we were going to a hot springs here, and we did get some sea salt and vinegar chips. I was like, these are so good. I haven't had these since like second grade. <laughs> but they're not off limits in my head. It was like, oh, they were nostalgic. I was like, oh, this is so good. I remember like that flavor of chips, like kids hated them because they were, they give you that like pucker in your mouth yeah. and kids don't like those flavors. And I'm like, oh, you go, more for me. So no, I, I really don't think there are foods that are off limits. I don't eat a lot of meat, but that's just because of me personally. I think you kind of have to, if you think a food is off limits, why is it off limits to you? And that's that's individual to everybody. So for Mitchell, it's okay that he eats a lot of meat. Oh, so I, for him, I would say be careful with the cholesterol. So make sure that you are getting regular physicals and regular blood work to know if it's impacting your LDL levels or the bad cholesterol. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm sure that he's aware of that. <laughs> it's just, uh, <laughs> I mean, just so you guys know, it's not a food that's off limits for me, but I can't really eat ground beef because at one point I went vegetarian for a little while and reintroducing uh, meat back into my diet. That's the one thing that my stomach just goes, Nope. And that happened. It's like the enzymes that were there got downregulated and they've never been able to be upregulated. And wow. so I really don't eat a lot of that. And I'll also, I, I said, I don't eat a lot of meat. I live in an area where there's a lot of hunting and so I do eat wild game and I really appreciate that somebody went out and they killed that elk and they brought it back and they really put in a lot of work to make sure it tastes real good. Yeah. So I really like that. And I actually have an intern and she's doing a blog post for me on wild game versus conventionally raised meat. And I'm really excited to see what she comes up with. So I'll keep you posted. Yeah, I'd like to see that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, so as a coach, I see, I see a lot of different, I mean, vastly different diets from one person to another. Um, and, of course, with those vast diets come vast different struggles. Uh, and diets are personal and individual. So how do we know yeah. what's best for us? How does a person <laughs> know what's best for them? Well, kind of like I was just telling you guys about like what, that struggle with reintroducing that food. It's trial and error. And mm. it changes depending on what's happening in your life. Um, specifically, recently for me, the stress that I experienced, I 
I had to shift between like the foods that I would eat after a workout. I had to actually go more liquid based. I had to do more smoothies and because that's what my GI system could handle. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, another thing like the mouth sensitivity. So some foods were scratching my mouth and so I had to change it. And so I think that's the thing. It's trial and error. It's going to change depending on what you're doing. So what I'm going to eat in preparation for a ski tour is going to be different than somebody that's training for a marathon. Again, so it's a trial and error thing. And there's another thing I would say, you do need to practice with foods. You Mm -hmm. need to practice with things that work for you and figure it out. That way you don't get to your race day and you try some new food and you end up with a GI emergency because you didn't practice with that food. Preach it, sister. (laughs) (laughs) That happens all the time. Never do anything new on race day. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So there's probably somebody out there who has a struggle that they've not shared with anyone at this point in time. You mentioned that, that we we sometimes keep this stuff to ourselves. Um, how do we know if there's somebody out there listening to this who has a particular struggle and they've not shared it with somebody, how do they know how to address that particular problem? Oh, I guess this is where they have to be a little bit courageous and they have to be open about it. Yeah. And I will tell that person they are going to be pleasantly surprised that they know people that are struggling with the same thing. Yeah. And it, it, it's very scary to be open that way, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, find the coach that you trust. Find the person that you know will listen. And then that's on us as coaches and professionals to be those people, to learn how to listen, to have the courage to not try and fix something, but to actually hear it. And sometimes you have to recognize that you may not be the right professional for that that you know somebody else that would be better. But if you are struggling with something, I would encourage you to speak out about it, especially if anything we've talked about in the previous questions sounds like something you're experiencing. You're not alone. Find the right person to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know you're not a runner. um, Nope. But you you, you do some endurance events. So nutritionally, how do we prepare for endurance events? So specifically, I mean, I like we were talking about earlier, I practice how I'm going to, I don't do competitions, but I make sure that I am well-fueled always. So if I'm going to go for a mountain bike ride, I eat breakfast. I eat like muesli with berries and, you know, almond milk. And then I take snacks the entire day. So I take like simple carbohydrates, like pretzels or dried fruit. And some people like products more like goose. I just don't because the GI doesn't work for me. Um, You have to find what's going to work for you. And then you have to train to where you know what to eat after specifically carbohydrates and certain amount of protein to promote recovery and glycogen restoration. And, um, yeah. And it's, there's this basic level of fueling that has to happen before an event. And if you're going to go do a big adventure, um, before, I mean, sorry, there was somebody nailing downstairs. <laughs> what is that? There's businesses below my apartment. <laughs> I got distracted. Um, <laughs> If you're going to go do a big event the next day, make sure that you have an adequate meal the night before. Make sure that there's complex carbohydrates in there to a point that you like, you know that you can handle them and you like them. But there's a building period. There's a progression to get to those certain kinds of foods to make sure that you're well-fueled before an endurance event. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And we talk about that all the time, how we talk about it from a hydration standpoint, that you can, you can drink all the water you want to on race day, but if you didn't start off yeah, at the right ex- level, exactly. it's a problem. Yep. Yeah. So, so what do you think is the number one thing that a runner is deficient in nutritionally? If I had to guess, it's probably overall macronutrient nutrition, nutrient intake. 
I bet you they're not eating enough throughout the day, specifically carbohydrates before and after a run. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah. can, you, can you guys hear that guy uh, well i can now i didn't hear it before <laughs> but, uh, that's okay that's that's all right that's all right we'll, we'll keep going that um maybe they'll stop <laughs> <laughs> so we had somebody in here not too long ago on, on this podcast who is a plant-based whole food um uh, i mean 100 percent no dairy no um no breads basically uh, really, really, really super strict kind of thing. What do you yeah. think about a fully plant-based diet? So I support a, plant, a plant-based diet if an individual has quality reasons for doing it and they're not restrictive about it. So specifically, like if they have environmental beliefs or personal reasons, I have a girlfriend in Atlanta who's a vegetarian because um, genetically she has higher cholesterol and going plant-based helped her hmm reduce her cholesterol. And that's kind of what we were talking about with Mitchell earlier in the plant, the meat, you know, just, just watch your cholesterol levels there. And that's another reason why I'm not really for keto diets because I'm like, what about your long-term effect on your cholesterol levels? Um, but I really want people to, if they're going to do a plant-based diet to again, introduce it gradually. You don't want to introduce all this fiber into your diet when you haven't been eating it because then you're going to end up with GI distress. That explains some things. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, I I understand seeing documentaries and being enlightened about some of these issues. and I totally encourage that. But if you want to do something like that, if you want to go plant-based, just do it in a gradual way and don't do it just because you saw a celebrity or an athlete that's doing it because they have a team in place to make sure they're doing it right. right. Don't just like think that you can change things you know like in a 180 degree format and like i'm just going to completely change everything because you'll end up um in the bathroom more often (laughs) (laughs) probably Uh, the best way to put it yeah and um (laughs) i just i that's exactly you know i'm an athlete and so that's the way i operate it's a hundred percent in whatever direction i'm going and so Mm -hmm. back when we had this this guy on here um, I decided, well, I'm going to try this for 30 days. And I was basically just about as, I mean, I was as strict as he was for 30 days. Yeah. And, uh, How'd you feel? Actually, I felt great. And I'm still doing it um, now four mm-hmm. months later. And so uh, okay. I feel really good. But there is there are some serious GI issues that I continue yeah. to have today. So Yeah. Uh, and I just, I mean, that's the thing. It's, you, well, you're going to have to, you're your GI and your gut is adjusting to that. And it takes a period of time for it to happen. Yeah. I just thought it would be <laughs> quicker than four months, but, uh, uh, Nope. It takes a long time. It, well, you know, it takes a, a long time for your body to adjust to a lot of those changes. Yeah. Frankly, my wife's getting tired of it, but, um, that's a whole <laughs> other story. Uh, <laughs> what about seafood? Like, Come on, Dean. I missed some Chick-fil-A. You know? <laughs> uh, what about seafood? Is seafood, Something that you think is good, bad, is some people... Yeah, I, uh, I love seafood. I love fatty fish, like for the omega-3 fatty acids mm-hmm. in it. I love shrimp. I love gumbo. I love fish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think if... Uh, and also, Better the way meat. for people to go vegetarian in a way, it's more of a flexitarian way. Yeah. Um, like, you can still eat fish, but not eat, like, red meat. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, pescatarian? Isn't that what that's called? Pescatarian, yeah. 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 Um, what about dairy? Uh, I think a lot of people now think they have allergies to dairy, which is fine. I um, I eat dairy, but I don't eat a ton of it. I love Greek yogurt. 
so specifically, I love like Faye 2% Greek yogurt. And the reason why I get 2% versus zero fat is because I usually take a vitamin D supplement. And vitamin D is a supplement that needs a little bit of fat to be absorbed. So that's why I get that. But I use it in so many different ways. Like I use it in smoothies or I've been using it as like cream cheese lately on <laughs> bagels that I get. Like our local bagel shop has like day olds you can get for free. And so I'll freeze them. And if I'm going to go for like a hike that day or something, I'll have, you know, that's more carbohydrates in the morning. But then I have my Greek yogurt, which is like my cream cheese. And I put like honey and cinnamon and stuff on it. But I mean, I love cheese. I love putting Parmesan cheese on salads or air popped popcorn. Like I love dairy. And I think you have to figure out like if it's something that bothers you, then maybe go get an allergy test. Like don't just think like, oh, I'm allergic. Like go, go actually be tested for that. Yeah. Um, but no, I eat dairy probably every day. Um, I, ha I will say that I have shifted away from cow's milk in my coffee. I really love oat milk in my coffee. Yeah. But it's a flavor thing. It's not because I don't like milk. I love milk. <laughs> but I don't drink it all the time. It's more like in my coffee and as a treat. Yeah, yeah. What about bread? I love bread. So Me of starchy too. carbohydrates, which are like complex carbohydrates, that's my favorite one. Um, like, like before we talked, I told you what breakfast I had. And I had toast with, it was like, you know, like, seeded toast from this bakery in Montana, but it was delicious and it has a function. I use those complex carbohydrates around activity. So yeah, I love bread. <laughs> yeah. Me too. So what yeah. do you think about what, what people call cheat days? I, you know, I, I think some people in some diets actually advocate for like one day a week, just mm -hmm. eat whatever you want to. And, uh, you yeah. know, in other words, can I have a little Debbie occasionally? I'm my I'm kind of my wife's name is Debbie, so I'm really partial to little Debbies. Um, is that mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. Uh, well, also before I get into that, I don't like the concept of cheat days, and actually right. the reason why is because that idea promotes a restrictive mindset that can lead to binge eating behaviors on those cheat days. Yeah. So instead, I do enjoy treats regularly, and I just let go of the guilt that we've been made to believe that we're supposed to feel when we eat those foods that are a treat, and so. I mean, yeah, if I want, I don't know, I got like Justin's peanut butter cups in my fridge and I don't save them for a certain day. If I want it, I'm going to eat it. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. So, so tell me what, uh, uh, just a normal day, walk us through breakfast, lunch, dinner, maybe some snacks. What would a, a normal day of perfect nutrition look like to you? Well, first of all, there's no perfect day because it's, every day is different. Yeah. Um, I guess, do you want to know a perfect day around an activity or a day where I'm not as active? That's a good, good question. Um, let's, let's talk about one where you, you've got something going on. You're just a normal, I'm going to go okay. like this afternoon, I'm going to run eight to 10 miles. Uh, but Actually, I'll do day. like a work day. So a lot of times before I go to the office on like Tuesdays or Thursdays, I'll do a strength workout in the morning mm -hmm. and I will eat something before. Like I said, usually like a small bowl of muesli or a bowl of like frozen fruit with some hemp parts on it. So it's just enough carbohydrates, but not too much protein. And I give my body at least 30 to 45 minutes to break that down. I don't drink coffee before I work out, uh, or at least I don't drink it black. And the reason why is because it impacts my stomach and it hurts. Like my stomach lining is not set up to where it handles that well. Yeah. And then as soon as I'm done working out, I come upstairs and I make sure to eat a complex breakfast with good carbohydrates in it, usually some toast. Um, avocado might be like, to like avocado toast might be an option. And then I'll throw in some eggs, like scrambled eggs with spinach and kale in them for vitamin K and calcium. And then I'll have like coffee with, I've actually been using the collagen peptides by Momentus lately. And not everybody needs to do that. We can talk, we'll talk about supplements, but um, yeah. So I eat like a dense meal after. And then, but when I go to the office, I have been loving just kind of making like a trash can salad. So I'll do like spinach and kale mix with like celery and garbanzo beans and red cabbage. And I'll throw like 
you know, like a salmon packet or a tuna packet on it, packed in olive oil, some salt and pepper and, you know, like whatever veggies I feel like. And that's dense, but it's a lot of plants and it's yeah. a lot, it's animal, I mean, it's um, fish. And so it's got some omega-3 fatty acids in there for anti-inflammatory properties within the body. I will eat a snack mid-afternoon and then usually it's like a piece of fruit and maybe a bar. So like an apple and an RX bar. Yeah. And then like dinner, I don't know, I'm really bad about dinner, but I, I love to do like stir fries. Like I love to do a stir, just like random stuff that's in my fridge or my freezer and just throw it all together and it's kind of just play with the flavors. But that's where I'm still learning. I'm still learning like how can I be creative with dinner? And recently I started cooking tofu more often and that is really not the easiest thing to cook, but it's really been fun for me to learn on my own. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, like, as you'll notice that perfect day What's perfect about it is that there is food throughout the entire day. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Because we, we've got a whole different mindset. Um, we'll be back with Eden here in a few minutes. Uh, if you have not become a Run for God coach yet, what are you waiting for? If you've ever participated in any sport, you've probably met a great coach. Great coaches inspire us to do more than we ever thought possible. You can be the leader that helps others achieve things they never thought possible. You, yes, you have the ability and the opportunity to be that person. All you need is a heart to help people and the ability to follow a plan. The Run for God 5K Challenge will come ready to help you inspire those around you. The step-by-step -step guide will direct you how to plan, pray, and train people both physically and spiritually. You can help them become more fit in their health and in their walk with Christ. Share your passion. Go to runforgod.com to find out how to inspire others to accomplish big things. Okay, we're back, and um, we're back with Eden, and... Uh, we've talked a lot about different nutritions, but are things about nutrition and surrounding nutrition. Um, what do you think is the toughest thing about talking about nutrition all day, every day? For me personally, the toughest thing is resisting the restrictive slash obsessive mindset that could come from focusing on food too much. So yeah. this is why I really emphasize the overlap between our mental health and our nutritional health. Because if I talk about both then I keep myself from obsessing with food like I have done in my past, as yeah. we talked about. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So what do you think about supplements? We always get that question at Run For God. What, what about yes. supplements? I think that supplements have their place, but they are not necessary. But you need, if you're going to take a supplement, I would recommend having your blood levels checked to, before you start supplementation. For example, you talked about your son and his ferritin levels, or Mitchell talked about his supplement, sorry. And that, that would be when you do an iron supplement you know that something is low, you know they're not getting it through their diet and a supplement could help. Um, one, I will tell you guys what I'm taking, but another thing I want people to think about is that there are different categories of supplements. So dietary supplements are like multivitamins or vitamin D specific nutrients. Nutritional supplements are kind of like complete supplements, like protein powders or meal replacement products. And for example, I, mean, I, I work with Momentus, which is a product based out of Jackson Hole and like I love their supplements and I do not advocate for very, very many supplement companies so the fact that I like theirs is a big deal but then there's sports supplements like Gatorade hydration products goos they're specific to a sport or an activity and so knowing the difference between the different kinds is important for people to keep in mind mm. another note I want listeners to remember is that supplements are not regulated by the FDA so it is up to the supplement company themselves to be honest about what they put in their product. And the reason why this is an issue is if you have food allergies, 
and a supplement is not third-party tested, you could be taking something that will cause an anaphylactic reaction. Mm -hmm. So it's important to look for third-party testing on those supplements that you take. And when I was talking about Momentus, they are NSF for sport certified, and that is a very rigorous certification mm -hmm. to get. When those products are tested, they have to have exactly what they say in them or they fail the test. Mm -hmm. So it's expensive, but it's you know what is on the label is what is exactly in that supplement. So, yeah, like you know, the there's been there's actually I'm been taking, professional athletes who have right, gotten into trouble. Right, and you can trouble fail doping tests. Yeah, you can fail for drug failing tests. doping tests because they say, yep. well, it's not on the label, but it was in there. Exactly. And, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, you got to be careful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the supplements I'm currently taking, just so you guys know, is I take Nordic Naturals Vitamin D3, which is the active form of vitamin D, and there is a correlation between vitamin D status and susceptibility to contracting COVID-19. Just so people know, um, I also live in an environment where sunlight is difficult to get because we have eight months of winter. Yeah. <laughs> so even though I might be outside, my skin is not exposed. And so I can't, my body won't actually, you know, upregulate the production of vitamin D. So um, I'm also taking momentous products such as whey protein powder and collagen peptides. And I, the reason I'm doing the whey protein powder is because like we talked about earlier, I've been having some digestive issues and sometimes taking in a liquid form of nutrients has been a little bit easier for me. Yeah. And then the collagen peptides, there is some promising research to show that the supplementation over a long period of time actually helps with osteoarthritic symptoms. But I will say you don't need to take collagen if you are getting adequate protein within your diet. Okay. But I do feel like, the, personally, this is not a professional thing. This is a personal note here. I do feel like they've helped with my knee symptoms. Like, for, specifically, if I come back from a hike and I had collagen before I went, it kind of feels like they don't swell as much. And yeah. like, that's just a personal aside, not a professional aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll let you guys know how ski season goes, but I'm, I'm actually thinking this will be my best ski season yet because I will be incorporating more nutrition into my training and into my ski days. That's great. That's great. And like you said, it's, it's all individualistic. You may find, I find stuff that helps me. I, I, here's a good example. And this is something that's, this is a whole different category and we won't talk about medications and stuff, but I can take ibuprofen and it will help with, with a, with an injury or whatever, and that'll help reduce swelling. But I can take, um, what's the other thing? Uh, not Tylenol, the other one. Um, Motrin. Aleve. What's that? I said a leave. A leave. I can take a leave and I can't tell I've taken anything. I mean, it, it's like I might as well be drinking water. It won't make any difference. Yeah. For me. And, and we're all, our bodies react to different things different ways. And, uh, you know, the collagen thing may be something that's great for you. May, may work for other people. May not. Well, I mean, I would encourage you to actually look at more anti-inflammatory foods versus ibuprofen. And I have recently. I knew I that have was recently. coming. <laughs> I, I, I have recently. And I, and I actually, I was taking, uh, I, I probably shouldn't even admit this right here. I was taking a ton of, of ibuprofen. And I take almost. A lot of people do. Yeah. And I take almost no ibuprofen since I started this plant-based diet. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. No, really, I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of our, our poor EBIT eating habits, they, for me, it's convenience. I mentioned that my right. thing about eating is I feel like it's fueling. It's like pulling up to a gas station, putting a, a gas pump in my car. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time fixing food. I just I don't like to spend a lot of time fixing food. I think it's not worth the time to fix food. And I know for, for Mitchell, he loves the smoking. That takes a long time, right? <laughs> it takes and a lot time. of work. Yeah. Um, but how, how do we balance... Uh, if people have my mindset, how do we balance that busy life with good eating? 
So I'm going to preface this, answer this question with kind of like an aside on a different topic. But I've heard, I heard this a few years ago discussing finances and we all say, oh, I can't afford that. And actually, it's not usually that we can't afford something. It's just that we have prioritized our money to go towards something else. Hmm. And so I would say the same thing with health and nutrition. Like, look at your priorities and where you spend your time. We are all busy, but we only get one body. Hmm. So it's important to take care of it so it lasts as long as possible. And when I say take care of the body, I mean physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. But a quick tip to make sure that you're never caught off guard nutritionally is to carry a snack with you at all times. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. I mean, I was telling you guys, like, I like certain kinds of bars and I, I always have one in my bag when I leave my apartment or in my backpack when I go to work. But, um, I, you want a snack that contains protein and carbohydrates. So the carbohydrates are quicker energy and the protein will keep you fuller longer. And I, yeah, I, like I said, I keep, yeah, I don't know. I also have like nuts in my car or maybe an apple or some dried fruit, just have something like always carry something with you and it doesn't have to be fancy. And this works because if you're out and about and you're hungry, you have something with you. And just being a little bit prepared in those busy moments keeps you from eating something that might be a little less nutritious and frankly more expensive than if you had brought your own snack. And then you won't feel guilty either. Yeah. Because you'd be like, look at what I did. I prepped. It's like the smallest amount of prep, but it makes a difference. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly what I do. If you look in my truck right now, there's a there's a, some pretzels in the back seat and there's a, some Lara bars in the front. Uh, well, mm-hmm. So yep. uh, yeah, that's actually it's a good idea. I never really thought about that, that I have those in there and that, that they're for that, that mm-hmm. purpose. But That's what they're there for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of the people listening have kids. So how do, how do parents help their kids to do You mentioned how you grew up and, mm-hmm. you know, you got into, into poor, poor eating habits and your relationships with food and things like that. How do we make sure as parents that pre, we can prevent our kids from going through, like, the things you went through or just poor eating yeah. in general? So lead by example, children and adolescents are always watching. They're always listening. And that includes like with body image issues. Like I remember some of the things my mom would say about her own body and it impacted the way I looked at my body, Mm. but they are looking at your choices and they are taking notes, whether you think they are, they're not. So another thing to keep in mind when it comes to kids around foods, it takes eight to 10 times of introducing a new food to a kid for them to actually accept it. So if a kid doesn't like something the first time they try it, Keep trying. Also try cooking foods different ways. Like for example, growing up, I hated steamed broccoli because that's how we always had broccoli in my house. And so I thought I hated broccoli. And then I realized I actually love it. I just like it to be cooked in different ways. So I like roasted broccoli. Oh, it's delicious. And I learned that like when I went to college, I started doing it that way. But it's just such a good idea to include your kids in the kitchen too and include them in your grocery choices. Like, do you do you want to try this thing? You want to try that? And like let them help you with meal prep. Like, and it makes it yeah, a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more messy, but like this is a life skill that kids need to learn. So taking care of themselves includes learning how to cook for themselves, and then that way they won't be absolutely lost in the kitchen when they get to college. Yeah. That's that's good. That's good. I, I hadn't really thought about uh, so, a couple of the points that you had there. Uh, so mm-hmm. we hear we hear we got menu items everywhere that, that are gluten free now. That's um, become yeah. that's become a big thing. So is gluten free better? Not necessarily. Uh, usually when people go gluten-free and they notice how much better they feel, it's not because they've given up gluten. It's because they're actually eating more whole foods and they're cooking at home and being more they're conscious of attention. what they put into their body. Yeah. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. But there are there are a segment of the population who are allergic to gluten and do have some serious problems from that. But but there's more. Yeah. there's less people that are actually allergic to it than think they're allergic to it. Right. And so if somebody does think they have a gluten intolerance, I would highly... In, 
encourage them to go get a gut biopsy done, not a blood test, not anything like that, because they need to actually look at the mucus of the gut lining to yeah. measure that. Huh. That's interesting. To measure if somebody has celiac disease. Yeah. So, so what about organic? This whole idea of organic versus <laughs> non-organic? I think organic can be a barrier to people eating healthy. They think it's too expensive to eat organic. And so they're like, well, I'm not going to do that. But so I don't actually think that organic is necessarily better either. It just depends on the food and where you live. I do think eating seasonally is important. So I would encourage your listeners to buy your listeners to buy what's in season. And the easy way to know this is when you go to the grocery store, take notice of what produce is on sale because that's actually what's in season and there's more of that product available yeah. um, geographically. So prices vary throughout the year depending on the season and which produce is more readily available during those seasons. Hmm. And another thing to note is that I also buy frozen vegetables and fruits all the time and those are more cost effective. And if a fruit or a vegetable is I like is out of season, I'll buy it frozen. And this is because frozen produce is flash frozen at peak ripeness. So it's just as nutritious as, as nutritious as fresh produce. But I actually, I don't buy organic all the time. And because to me, it kind of, it can lead to that restrictive mindset. And so I'm like, no, I buy what I want. And so I try to buy local, but I don't necessarily do organic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what about GMOs? What, what, what is your opinion and thoughts on GMOs? <sighs> They've gotten such a bad rap in the media. And I guess my question to those claiming that GMOs are bad is that do they actually know what a GMO is? Like, for example, almost every single apple that we eat is a genetically modified organism. Yeah. They've been modified to where they can grow all year round. And apples have been, yeah, there's just different species and they resist, you know, environmental factors such as bugs. But yeah. another thing to keep in mind is that GMOs are incredibly effective in other parts of the world where famine is prevalent. Mm -hmm. And so they can grow crops to feed the, the populations there that might not be fed if they didn't have genetic, genetically modified crops. Um, to round out my thought on this question, I just think we do ourselves a disservice when we fear too many foods, like especially if we do not understand the science behind, they, behind how they are created. So I remember being in grad school and learning about the human metabolism and just being absolutely fascinated by the chemistry that's all around us. And I want people to stop being afraid of food and instead of realize that our bodies are fascinating and they are so adaptable. Uh, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, and I read, a, I read a study about GMOs that showed that uh, the effect on the body of genetically modified foods versus non-genetically modified foods was zero. That there was no, yeah. there was really no difference between the two, and yet there are still yeah. people who who are just they freak out about it. Um, so, I know. Yeah, so calm down. I, it's just like this fear mongering among people and nutrition, and it's like just enjoy the food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I mentioned to, for, for me um, mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory foods. I'm 55 yeah. years old, and I'm I, I'm I'm probably going to run between 70 and 80 miles this week. My body is is rebelling right now, just a few days in, and um, and there's lots of, of of inflammation. I'm trying to get ready for a marathon, so I have to have yeah. this period of inflammation yes. to, to get there, right? So tell me, what are some of those foods and supplements that I can take that will help me with that inflammation? So I already talked about this earlier, but omega-3 fatty acids are a wonderful anti-inflammatory food source, and good examples of those are fatty fish, like we talked about, so like... Mm -hmm salmon or tuna, uh, walnuts, black seeds, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, like foods with antioxidants in them. They help fight those free radicals that come from inflammation. So berries, bright colored produce. And a note there is that colorful produce means that there's more micronutrients. 
less colorful produce, like if you think of like spinach versus iceberg lettuce, one has more water content, but in the other one has more micronutrient content in it. And also like a wide variety of spices and herbs has been, they've been shown to reduce inflammation as well. Um, supplements, if you don't like fatty fish, I do like Nordic Naturals Omega Complex. Uh, I don't take it often because I do try to include the anti-inflammatory foods in my diet first. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And, yeah. uh, and that's all good stuff. I, my problem with spices and herbs is I, I don't know enough about them to know which ones. Me neither. When I say I, spices, I mean like cinnamon and I don't know, everything but the bagel seasoning. It's just like yeah. season your food. It's yeah. not necessarily like I'm going to take a bunch of mushrooms and herbs. I'm like, I'm not, I still want to, I mean, I think there's good research behind it. I just mean like there's good research behind turmeric and cayenne pepper and cinnamon and some of these basic spices. Yeah. Yeah. I use a lot of garlic. Uh, yeah. Oh, me too. I love garlic. Yeah. 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 Um, well, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think is important that might've come up in our conversation that. I don't think so. Is there anything that you can think of? I, I don't think so. I, I, it's been really well-rounded. I appreciate you sharing um, your personal journey. Uh, and I'm sure that's become something that you've done more often in, in your attempt to try to help others out there. But, yeah. but sharing it with our audience has been great. Um, so I really appreciate that. And then the more specific dietary stuff is great, too. So mm -hmm. um, we're, we've got a trivia question that we do every week. And so um, we're going to do our trivia question here. Um, we don't typically like to run on treadmills, but there is an interesting background to the treadmill. <laughs> So, here's what I want to know. Here's the question. Where, when, and most importantly, why was the treadmill invented? You stumped me on this one again. I've got you intrigued, don't I? Yeah. I yeah. have an idea. Remember that you have to send, yep, first of all, you have to be a Run Club member, and you have to send your answer to dean at runforgod.com to be eligible for a prize. Do we know what we're giving away this week? We do. We're going to give away another Run Club box. Another. Run I don't have it here to show the YouTube viewers, but it's it's the Run Club box that comes with a copy of Devotions. It comes with a coffee mug, and it comes with a Run Club T-shirt. So you'll just uh, send in your size of T-shirt, and Miss Gay will get that right out to you. Yeah, please remember to include your size when you are answering. These trivia questions have been great, so uh, check check out why the treadmill was invented. I think it'll be fascinating. So we always share every week why running is so awesome, and this is my reason for this week. In honor of having Eden here, who lives up there in a very cold environment. Uh, <laughs> what I love about running is that you can do it in the cold. Mm -hmm. You know, playing baseball in the cold, playing softball in the cold, doesn't work very doesn't work very well at all. But you can run. Uh, you may not want to, <laughs> but you can. But you know, most people, and and I haven't said this yet, but probably my favorite vacation that I've ever took was to Jackson Hole, and oh yeah, remind me of the the trail that runs along the Grand Tetons. It's, it's like a road, but it's actually just a pedestrian bike trail. Um, oh, I mean, it, it's just the park road. It, that's it, what they it, call it, just the, the inner, inner park loop road. Yeah, and they actually just closed it for winter, and now it's open to bike traffic. But it's, uh, well, I'm talking about but, but off to the side of it, there was oh, a, yeah, yeah. There's there was a, a bike trail that goes bike trail, from and town it runs like all the way 16 miles or something like that, or, yeah, I've seen or maybe longer oh, than it that. Goes, it goes all the way through the park. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's as wide as a small yeah. road, but no cars on it. And we rented bikes. Yeah, and it's we, great. Man, it was just, and you're running at the bay. It was, we were there in the summer, 
and there was still snow on top of the Tetons. And it was just, it was incredible. Am I saying that right, the Tetons? Yep, you're saying it right. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, actually, there's more snow now because actually we're supposed to get a big snowstorm this weekend. And I'm like, yes, ski season. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to say that the thing I like most about this interview, and I didn't talk much, I listened because I was learning. But the, the thing that I like most about Eden's philosophy is it's moderation and it's, it's kiss. It's keep it simple. I yeah. mean, and, yeah, and, and exactly. I think, you know, we, we tell everybody that, you know, we, we tell our young athletes that, you know, we don't, Eden, we don't focus too much on nutrition with our young athletes because, you know, the, they've got a lot going on. But we always say, just understand what you're eating and what that, whatever you're eating is going to do to you. So, if, yeah, if I you're, just want to make sure that they don't show up to practice with an empty tank. Right, and, and but if you're going <laughs> to eat, we don't we don't say don't don't go to that pizza party, but understand right, exactly. understand the next day when you feel lousy and you you just can't figure out why your run is not at peak performance. Make those connections because if you make those yeah. connections, then then long term that's going to create good habits. And I think that's really what right. you're all about. And uh, that's a yeah. great interview. Yeah, great interview. Well, and, and so for the motivational thought of the week, and I don't know if you noticed this, Eden, but I wanted, I just to, noticed sh- it. I wanted <laughs> to share your words um, because <laughs> yeah. I thought they were very, very good. And so here's, here's the motivational thought of the week. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is moving forward in the presence of fear. Courageous people do what they believe in their hearts they should do, no matter how they feel or what kinds of doubts and fearful thoughts fill their minds. Isn't that great? I love that. Great quote. Courage. Courage. Yeah, I got that from a a book that I was reading, but it it goes, I mean, there are Bible verses that mirror the same thing. Uh, John McCain said similar things throughout his political career. And I actually said that quote to the town council and the board of commissioners here recently when I was speaking to them. I said that to all of our public officials. And Hmm. I I just feel like God touched me at that moment when I was saying that because I can't even believe that I said that to a bunch of people. But I still (laughs) believe that. It's like I might be afraid, but I'm going to I'm so proud when I move forward, even if I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we all are. Once we take that step and, and we do it, yeah. we all are. It's just a matter of doing it because sometimes it's hard. Yeah. Yep. So yep. whatever you're afraid of out there, be courageous. Get out there. Take a step. Um, the, the second step is always easier than the first. Mm-hmm. So Eden Morris, thank you so much for taking your time. This has been longer than we thought it would be. But I appreciate and appreciate your patience with all the technical stuff and everything else for us getting set up. Um, we appreciate you being our guinea pig for this process and the way that we're doing this as well. Uh, but it, this has been some great information, and you've done a tremendous job. Um, and listen, if um, if you don't know about Eden, um, and I mentioned her website earlier, but quickly tell everybody how they can learn more about what you, if they've got questions, or mm-hmm. maybe they need somebody to, to interact with and help them through their, their nutritional yeah. issues. So how do they find out about you? So again, my website is tetonperformancenutrition.com. But you can also send me an email with specific questions at eden at tetonperformancenutrition.com. Uh, I am most active on Instagram, and my handle is garden of Eden underscore rd. 
And I, I, I interact with people. So if you see me doing something on there and you like it, or you're like, oh, how'd you get into jumping rope or whatever, I will tell you. Like, I love interacting with people on that social platform. Um, Dean found me on Facebook, and you can follow me on my personal profile, which is Eden Morris or Teton Performance Nutrition. But I do post more on the, the one that's just my personal profile. But yeah, I, I love Instagram. I really feel like I get to relate to people all over the country and all over the world with that platform. That is so cool. It's, it's funny how the, the world got smaller with social media. Yes, it for, does. For all of its many, many faults, and you mentioned the highlight real thing earlier, um, there are some great things about social media. So, Yeah. So thank you once again. Um, and if you're out there and you haven't joined Run Club yet, um, we wish that you would join Run Club. Um, we think that it's totally worth it. What is uh, What does it cost to join Run Club, Mitchell? I think it's uh, about the cost of a piece of bubble gum a day, isn't it? Yeah. 27 cents per day. Yeah. that's a You can't get a better deal anywhere. So uh, join Run Club if you haven't already done that. Um, connect with other people who have similar interests to yours. Um, we have, we have all these, the podcasts and the videos and we try to be informational and that's why Eden is here is to try to help you understand a little bit more about a, a subject that I'm not real good with. Um, so the things we don't know about, we find folks that do know, um, especially when it touches what we do. So. We have never claimed to know it all. And if we don't know it all, we'll go find somebody that knows a lot more than us. That's right. That's right. So we have training plans, our weekly text. We have a Facebook group that's second to none. Um, there's all sorts of things out there. Um, you got access to a coach who's uh, been around far longer than he wants to admit. Um, so again, take advantage of all of that. Uh, now, we hope you've enjoyed this. Go out there and give us those reviews. Let us know. You know all of that helps. So thank you so much for who you are and how you support us. Now, may God bless every step of every run. Go out there and shine your light. Good job, Dean. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.